Our sermon text comes this evening from the, the book of 1 Peter, uh, the letter of 1 Peter. I'd invite you to open your Bibles with me now to 1 Peter. We'll be looking at chapter 1, considering verses 3 through 5 of 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1, starting with verse 3. This is God's holy and inspired word. Let's give our full attention to it now. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word, trusting that he will bless it to us this evening. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, you and I have been created for hope. You and I need something outside of ourselves to lean onto, to latch ourselves onto that would give us hope, that would keep us going. This is in our very bones. This is how we were created. created. We are in need of something outside of ourselves to weather the ups and downs of this life as they are many. And the depth of the comfort, the depth of our security that we find in the things that we place our trust in, the things that we find our hope in, because it's in our very bones that we are longing for this hope, we naturally place our hope in things outside of ourselves. But the depth to which we find security depends on if the things in which we place our hope are firm, if those things are lasting, if those things are sure. If those things are fleeting, they will eventually fail us, and we will be left with no hope as we place our comfort in these things. So I ask this evening, where do you find your security? Where is it that you're finding your comfort as you come this evening? Is it in your finances, in your career, in politics maybe, um, some in social media? These things will often fail us and ultimately fail us. And this drives us to the first question of our Heidelberg Catechism, which is so profound because we notice in the answer of the question, what is your only comfort in life and in death? Notice that the answer drives us outside of ourselves and says that you are not your own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to your faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Notice how that answer takes the perspective off of yourself and it puts it on the object of your hope, namely Jesus, who is your surety. He is the one that will never fail you. And the Apostle Peter, this evening, as we open up his first epistle, he is answering this fundamental question. He's answering this question of where is the hope for the Christians that are reading this letter? First Peter is... I'm often thought of as a succinct resume 
of the Christian life. And oftentimes it's referred to throughout church history because of its very pastoral overtones. Peter is comforting the believers in this epistle. Peter's goal is to encourage the Christian, you and I, to deny the temptations of this world, to deny placing our hope in anything that is fleeting, and to be motivated to do this by our citizenship that is laid up in heaven, that is kept for us by God Himself, who is now guarding us for this eternal inheritance, as our text tells us, our hope is eternally secure. Peter shows that our citizenship has implications now. We are citizens of the kingdom of God, yet we are still waiting for the fullness of time when the kingdom of God will will come in its fullness. We do not yet fully enjoy what it is to have the kingdom in its fullness. And Peter is writing to Christians in the dispersion. So these are elect exiles, as he tells us in the first verse of this epistle. And it's important to recognize that because these elect exiles had been dispersed. They were enduring much persecution. This was a persecuted church that was enduring persecution for the sake of Christ and His name. They were enduring this persecution and they were in need of comfort. The church needed comfort, and Peter supplies this need by putting their circumstances in perspective. He puts their circumstances in light of God's providence and also the promises that are to come in their future hope. Peter comforts the believer by doing this. This is the point. He comforts the believer by attributing their salvation to the triune God through whom, or rather, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ has brought life to them and is currently guarding them for salvation. So Peter is bringing comfort by attributing their salvation to God alone. This triune God has saved them. He has given them this hope for a life to come, and He is currently guarding them for this salvation. And this is a great comfort to you and I this evening. As we are often forgetful, we are walking through this life and our focus is often taken off of the things of God and we find our comfort in things that are aside from God's Word. And so now we are hearing what Peter has to say to us. He is putting our circumstances in perspective that we would find great hope in the citizenship that has been laid up for us. This eternal inheritance that is secure and you're being guarded for. And I want to look at this text naturally broken up as Peter does it in three things, three ways. Um, He is first speaking of a living hope, a living hope, and then he moves to a secure inheritance and then to a coming salvation, a living hope, a secure inheritance, and a coming salvation. Salvation. So first, this living hope. First Peter chapter one verses three through five is situated in this larger context of verses three through twelve in chapter one. Peter is rejoicing in Christ's accomplishment and what that means for those who have placed their trust and their hope in Him and have been been united to Christ through faith. Like his opening address in this first epistle, Peter is rejoicing, and he's doing so in a triune way. He's rejoicing. His, his rejoicing is structured 
in a triune way, and we're going to work out what that means to us and why that even matters to pick up on that. But he attributes both the work of salvation and the perseverance of us as God's people to all three persons of the Trinity. And this is a a beautiful passage that we can come to look at and we can see how our doctrine of the Trinity is not a, not a concept that is, it is not d- detached from Scripture, but is really flowing out of the text, and we find great hope in attributing our salvation to God as triune. So look with me at the beginning of verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You notice how Peter is breaking out into praise. He can't help it, but he is, he is blessing the name of God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter is concerned with from whom salvation comes, by whom it is accomplished, and through whom it is revealed. So Peter breaks out by echoing this frequent Old Testament praise. You can think of Psalm 28, verse 6. Blessed be the Lord. Peter is blessing the name of the Lord using Old Testament language. But notice what he does. He picks up this language and he adds something to the language. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is a title that was not attributed to God in the Old Testament. The God of the Old Testament, the God of the patriarchs, is the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what Peter is doing. He is bringing further insight to who God is. As He was revealed in the Old Testament, as He was revealed in in shadowy form, as plural in the, in the sense that we see the Trinity there um, in shadow, but now Peter is saying He is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the New Testament is clearly revealing who God is as Father and Son and Holy Spirit in one substance. There's not three gods. These three persons do not come together to make up God because God is not composed of parts, but rather, as Peter is doing here, he is distinguishing the persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, without separating their substance, their very being, or their essence. And when reflecting on the beauty of the, beauty of the Trinity and expounding on the distinction without separation, a 4th century theologian says this, No sooner do I conceive of the one than I am illumined by the splendor of the three. No sooner do I distinguish them that I am carried back to the One. You notice he is saying, when I think of the Three, it it drives me back to the One. And when I think of the One, it drives me to the Three. Well, I want to, to show how that is what Peter is doing here. Peter is being driven to the Three as he thinks of the One and he attributes salvation to the Three. The One God. The first person, His Father, does not in any way mean that He is created or rather that He created the Son. The Son was not created, but rather has always existed. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, which Peter clearly recognizes that here. Therefore, when we think of God, we should think of Him as the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the Holy Spirit proceeds. And this is important because the source of our hope Why are we laboring over this doctrine of the Trinity? It's because Peter is showing that the source of our hope is the triune God alone. He is the giver of life. He is the font from which all blessings flow. He is the only lasting hope. 
Peter then, as he continues, he expounds on why God is worthy to be praised. Notice what he says there. He says, according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Peter grounds the action of rebirth in the great mercy of God. According to His great mercy, He has caused it. He has caused this rebirth. And and children who are listening, boys and girls, why is it necessary to be born again? Well, as Jesus tells Nicodemus in John chapter 3, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again, unless he receives this birth from above. And like our first birth that we did not have anything to do with, so Peter is telling us here that this birth from above is from God alone. He causes it. He is the source of it. Peter is proclaiming that God in His great mercy provided a way for salvation, namely through our being born again, born from above. According to the mercy of God, His steadfast covenant faithfulness, this birth is given. And and by Peter showing that this rebirth, this new birth from above, comes and it is a cause of God, and the source is the triune God, grounding the new birth in the mercy of God alone, it removes our ability to boast in our own works. It removes our ability to say we caused it ourselves, that we were able to come to God on our own and to show Him our own works, our own righteousness. No, rather, Peter says it is by the mercy of God that you have been caused to be born again, is what Peter is communicating here. And apart from his great mercy, there is no hope because there is no new birth. Yet blessed be the God and Father because He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. And He has given us new life through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, is what Peter says. It is a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our hope is living, is what Peter is saying, because Christ is living. He has risen. And if Christ did not rise from the dead, our hope, our faith, is in vain, is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. So the resurrection is essential to the Christian's hope because it shows the accomplishment of Christ. The Father accepts Jesus' death as a full payment for the sins of His children. And in the resurrection, Jesus conquers sin and death. And He gives us the assurance of our own resurrection that we too one day will rise with Christ. When Christ rose, He secured our inheritance. That's why our inheritance is secure, because it is grounded in the resurrection. The resurrection is the means through which Christ accomplishes and secures our living hope. The Christian, you and I, are united to the resurrected Lord, and we do have hope. We have hope that we will be raised to new life. One writer puts it this way, our hope is anchored in the past. Jesus rose. Our hope remains in the present. Jesus lives. Our hope is completed in the future. Jesus is coming. The resurrection of Jesus Christ secured this living hope, as Peter says, and it will never perish, 
It will never pass away. It is secure. So let's consider this security of our inheritance, which is point number two. Peter uses, I want us to notice, three adjectives to describe this inheritance. He says that this inheritance in verse 4 is imperishable, it's undefiled, and it's unfading. And he's, he's picking up Old Testament language. Peter is using Old Testament language to, um, or rather, he's using Old Testament language of an inheritance and then attaching these adjectives to contrast the heavenly inheritance with the earthly inheritance that the nation of Israel was looking forward to. So automatically when the listeners hear this inheritance, they're thinking of Numbers 26, 54, Deuteronomy 2, verse 12, where they were going to inherit the promised land of Canaan, their forefathers, and that the, the land would be portioned out to each tribe. This is the inheritance that the people were looking forward to. Peter is is drawing on Old Testament language as he will continue to do throughout his epistle. And he's doing this to show the contrast between the heavenly and the earthly. The earthly inheritance was picturing, it was pointing forward to this heavenly inheritance. The physical land of Canaan was a picture of the heavenly land that we, you and I, long to look for. We are longing for. And Peter shows that the believer's share in the eternal inheritance is secure in and through Christ's resurrection. Because of our adoption, we are now co-heirs with Christ to the heavenly kingdom. And Peter understood that the Christians who were facing suffering, he recognized that by expounding on this truth, that they have a sure and secure inheritance no matter what they faced in this world. Christian, no matter what you face in this world, you can be sure of the security of your inheritance that awaits you. The persecution that you face, the trials that you are enduring, the suffering that you are often downcast from, you can take hope in the security of your inheritance. I don't know the kind of suffering that you are enduring this night. I don't know what it is that you're facing. But what I do know is what God proclaims clearly in and through His Word that we have a sure hope, that we have a sure foundation, and it is a secure inheritance that has been accomplished through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I ask you again, where is it that you find your security this evening? Look away from the things that the world has to offer and place your hope and your comfort in Jesus Christ and His resurrection and ascension for you. As you trust in Him through faith, you are united to Him and you receive all the blessings therein. So the land of Canaan was perishable. That's why Peter is saying that the heavenly land is imperishable. The heavenly inheritance is imperishable because it is not subject to decay. It won't be worn out over time. It will never be ravaged or plundered as the land of Canaan was. The land of Canaan was often defiled. It was defiled by the sin of the people. The land spit the people out as they defiled it. However, the heavenly inheritance is undefiled. Peter says. It's undefiled by sin and contains nothing unworthy of God's full approval. The land of Canaan faded. You remember the nation of Israel is kicked out of the land. They're taken into captivity. But the heavenly inheritance is unfading. 
It's never growing dim. It will never wither. It will never lose its beauty or its glory. It will never be taken from the people of God. We did not earn it, but it was given to us by the grace and mercy of God. So these are the three adjectives, but then there's a verb that's used. The inheritance is being kept for you. This is a passive idea that refers to God preserving the inheritance for His people. The inheritance is being guarded and preserved by God for a specific purpose. What is that purpose? Well, it's for you to receive it. God is keeping you for the inheritance, and He is keeping the inheritance for you. You can be certain that an inheritance awaits you, and you can find great hope in this life as you look forward to the life to come is what Peter would have his Christians do here and what God by His Spirit would have us do this evening. But it gets better. We've talked about the inheritance, that it's secure. We've talked about it being a heavenly land. But now let's consider a bit about what this inheritance is. What's the essence of the inheritance? What are we waiting for? What are we longing for? Well, it's the Lord Himself. God Himself gives Himself to us. In Genesis 17, you remember that God makes a promise to Abraham, and He says, I will be your God, and you will be my people. God gives Himself to His people, and He receives a people to Himself. This is the blessed promise of Scripture. Jeremiah 31 then prophesies about the new covenant and says, the Lord declares, I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And then you remember when Jesus comes in the flesh, He is called Emmanuel. God with us. John 1.14 says that the Word became flesh and dwelt or tabernacled among us. We remember this morning of this tabernacle language where God would meet with His people. We're here Jesus is in the flesh dwelling with His people. And in that, the promise is fulfilled that God would dwell among His people. This is the great benefit of entering eternal life is that we receive our Lord. He gives Himself to us. You have been born again to a living hope because Christ is living. A hope that looks forward. One that is secure and being kept for you until the day of salvation. And though we find benefits from this salvation now, we're looking forward to a salvation that is coming, which is our third point, a coming salvation. So you notice in verse 5, Peter goes from speaking of this inheritance, using this language of imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, and then he says, who by God's power are being guarded through, through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So he's saying this salvation is coming. He's continuing to describe this inheritance, but now shifting into salvation language. So salvation can be defined um, in, in several different ways. Scripture uses salvation by, by explaining this rescue from God's wrath, and the New Testament writings use salvation to, to both speak of a present reality that we have received salvation now that we have been washed clean of our sins and that we have received reconciliation and forgiveness and now this hope to eternal life, but it also uses salvation in this future sense to which we're looking. And this is how Peter is using it here, this future inheritance. The, the coming salvation, notice what he says, is ready to be revealed in the last time. This language of, of being ready 
to be revealed. It's ready because it has been accomplished. There's nothing that you need to add to it. There's nothing, in fact, that you can add to it. It has been done, and it's waiting for you. And we saw that it happens in and through Christ and His resurrection. So when referring to the last time, uh, Peter is speaking, when he says it's, it's ready to be revealed in the last time, he's speaking of this last day, Christ's second return, and, and Christ's return, rather. And, and we notice that in verse 7, it becomes more clear. At His return, Christ is going to consummate the kingdom that was brought at, in His earthly ministry. So, the Christian rests in these comforting words that we are being guarded through faith, is what Peter says. We are being guarded through faith. Let's consider this for a moment. The term guard means to keep a careful watch over. And it's frequently used in a military context. So we can think of our great and almighty, powerful God giving us this language of guarding. He is watching us and guarding us, keeping us secure as a soldier at His post keeps watch over the night. How much more our great God who is securing us through the night. Weeping may come in the night, but joy comes in the morning as the Lord keeps us and He guards us as we are waiting for this eternal inheritance. God is active in this guarding. He is the one keeping. He is the one holding us secure. It's through the means of faith is what Peter says. Faith is the instrument that God is using to keep us secure. He is the one guarding. He is the one keeping. He is the one securing our salvation. One writer puts it this way, what mercy is it to be protected by the power of God? See, heaven is kept for us, and we are kept for heaven. Heaven is prepared for us, and we are prepared for heaven. What beautiful language that heaven is kept for us, and we are being prepared heaven. It is by God's power that we are being guarded, Peter says, which makes us think back to, you remember Heidelberg question and answer one again, which continues, God watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head apart from the will of my Father who is in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation, is how the catechism puts it. The power of God is no match for any adversary. Nothing can impede on the power of God. So no matter how much you think your adversaries in this life could impede on the power of God and remove you from your Father's hand, it is impossible. Peter is telling us you are being guarded. The coming salvation has been accomplished by God in Christ and it's being kept by the power of God. And understanding faith as the instrumental cause makes us think of this, this, this imagery of resting or leaning upon Christ. And in that resting, we're growing in maturity. As we rest on God and His Word, as it's proclaimed to us even now by His Spirit, we grow in maturity. This is God doing this work in us. That's why it is a living hope. It's a lively hope that is growing and being shaped by the very Word of God. The true believer, as a, as a benefit of faith, grows and matures through the means by which God has ordained. As the Christian matures, they become more aware of the ways in which they are being guarded through faith. 
as we grow in our trust for God, we recognize the many ways that He has been guarding us and has been keeping us, and we are strengthened in our faith as we look forward to our future, knowing that He will continue. The Christian recognizes that being born again is a result of God's mercy and that God is keeping them. Believers, you will receive this promised inheritance of salvation as you lay hold of it through faith, and genuine faith then produces this fruit, which is why we we speak of us being justified by grace through faith, and we are being sanctified, growing. Our sanctification is a result of our justification, and, and therein we see the fruit as we grow together in faith. Um, this is why verse 3 says that we've been a born, born again to a living hope, because we're growing in our trust for God. The growth of the Christian happens in the context of the church, which is why we're here this evening. Why we gather, because we trust and we recognize the means that God has ordained, trusting that as we gather and we hear the word proclaimed, we together grow in, in spiritual unity with one another, and we grow in maturity. That, that our God uses the word preached by His Spirit to change us. He will, as Peter tells us, return. And we together are trusting and waiting for Christ's return. We long for the day when Christ does return and He comes back for His church, coming to judge the living and the dead. And this is when salvation will be revealed according to to Peter, all those who are found in Christ, meaning that we have placed our faith in Christ, we will inherit eternal life with God. Remember, we'll inherit God Himself. This is the day that you and I eagerly anticipate. So we look at our current circumstances through the lens of God's promise, the surety of our salvation. Praise God that we do not stand before Him according to our own works of righteousness but rather, according to His great mercy, the very fact that He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, that is being kept in heaven for you as you are being guarded through faith. Our passage this evening has, has shown us the comfort that the Holy Spirit offers to believers through the writing of Peter's first epistle. So Christian, I encourage you in your pain of loss, in your suffering, in your struggling, turn to God's Word, read the first epistle to Peter, or of Peter rather, and recognize this language that it applies to you, that you can look forward to this security. We have an eternal hope because our, our salvation is accomplished by the triune God, who through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead has brought us to life and is, be, is guarding us for salvation that is ready, it's accomplished, and it's ready to be revealed. And because this inheritance is sure, because we have surety in it, the finished work of Jesus Christ our Lord, we together can say with the psalmist, in Psalm 16, notice what David says, and we'll close with this passage because David is recognizing that he is going to inherit God himself and that this inheritance is sure for him. Listen, because we can say this with David in Psalm 16, the Lord is my cho chosen portion and my cup. 
You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. You Christians have a beautiful inheritance. Let's pray. Father, we do come with encouragement in our hearts, knowing, Lord, that you, by your Spirit, have brought great comfort, have brought great hope through the, uh, Peter's first epistle, knowing, Lord, that it is according to your great mercy that we have been born again to a living hope, that you are keeping us, that you are guarding us through faith for this inheritance that is sure. So we together do trust you. We look forward to this eternal inheritance, asking, Lord, that you would increase our faith, that we would trust you, that we would lean upon you, that we would find great comfort in Jesus Christ and his work on our behalf, his righteousness given to us. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen.